Hi, good morning. It's a, fr- a Thursday morning, I guess. And uh, happy to say I found somebody. We got a sponsor for the last uh, podcast of the week. And um, just want to say, uh, but the sponsor wishes to remain anonymous. So we'll thank him, Ben. That'll wrap up this week, hopefully. Next week, I have a lot of things on the schedule. But let's take a look at the Haftarah. Today, the very famous Haftarah. I think more portentous than most people know, and that's, of course, the Haftarah of Aigash, which is to take the two sticks in time together. Everybody kind of knows that. You know, take a HCO, save an H. Yehuda. And the plain, simple meaning, of course, is the two brothers will eventually get along. <coughs> you know, that kind of thing. But remember, this is in the book of Yechezkel. Yechezkel, of course, is talking immediately after the destruction of the first temple. So he's obviously talking about the future times. And when I say it's, this has been a significant or portentous uh, prophecy, it means it's had a lot of attention in Jewish history. And Jewish thought, Chazal, Roshonim, Dechronim, and all the rest of it. More, I think, than most people realize. Uh, the Haftorah today, as is always the case, is a snippet. Um, it's in chapter 37, Yechezkel, that doesn't mean anything to you, but no, there's, it comes right after the dry bones. Isn't that interesting? You have the famous story that everybody knows about the dry bones. And besides the Chazal, you know, the Shevet Ephraim, which is kind of interesting itself, because that's from Joseph, but leave that aside. The plain meaning of the dry bones is the Jewish people um, were dead in exile, and it doesn't look like they can ever bounce back, and they bounce back. It's a miracle. You know, God will restore the the the... the, the the Jews, even after physically, they're not able to to make it happen. Whatever the words are, how can the dry bones survive? And by the end of the story, the dry bones do survive. They become people again. So at the basic level here, if you think about it, this is regarded historically as a messianic prophecy. Okay? In other words, the Geula, Mashiach time, all that business, that's your dry bones coming back to life. That is how, down the ages, the Jewish commentators always kind of viewed this. And therefore, in that light, when you continue in that prophecy, as soon as you finish about the dry bones, you grow up and you go into the two sticks, take the H.C. Yosef and the take H.C. Yehuda, this was also seen, historically, as a reference to the Messianic era. So what's shot with the stick of Joseph and stick of Yehuda? From here you get the idea that there's two types of Mashiach, A and B. There's a Mashiach Ben Yosef and a Mashiach Ben David. Even though, you know, it doesn't really talk anywhere except one place I'm aware of, of Mashiach Ben Yosef. But somehow it got hardwired into Jewish thought. Uh, let me put it this way. What do I name Mashiach Ben Yosef for? What's the problem if I tell you tomorrow, Animam Ben Visa Mashiach, etc. Tomorrow morning you'll come on CNN. The Mashiach has arrived. <laughs> the Arabs are running away. You know, like I always say, turns out the Palestinians made a mistake. It wasn't Palestine, it was Pakistan. It was a spelling error. They're all leaving. Shine, you know, the base of Mishra being rebuilt. What do you name a Shibun Yosef for? Um, <clears throat> and indeed, I believe the Rambam doesn't mention Mishibun Yosef, if I'm not mistaken. You know, look at the Rambam at the end of the Mishnah Torah. You know, I'm talking about the Messianic parts. He says, you know, Ayala, Daicha, whatever he says over there. There's no reference to. Uh, a Mashiach ben Yosef, not that I recall. It's Pashat, you know, it's a Mashiach ben David, done. Uh, nevertheless, in spite of what I just said, there's another tradition, not the Maimonidean tradition, but the much more wide tradition, which is given voice in the uh, Gaonic works for and afterwards. Um, I'm sure I mentioned it before. You look at the Haigon, 
And Sadigon, uh, Haigon would be in the Osir Gaonim somewhere, maybe Chagiga, is that where it is? And uh, you Google it, you'll find it. Say Haigon and Mashiach, you know, you'll, you'll see it there. And Sadigon is in the Moon Svideus. And they have a whole business, you know, a whole elaborate scenario that there'll be H.C. Yosef, you know, there'll be like Mashiach ben Yosef, and eventually they'll get killed, and the, and the, and the Mashiach ben, ben David, another Shmi Yehuda will come together. So it's not exactly like the prophecy that you see today that the two sticks will join as one. So it's very confusing, you know. It's not exactly, it, rather, one stick will show up, and then once that stick has served its purpose, then the other stick will show up. The prophecy that we're reading in the Torah today is that two sticks come together. They blend together. Now, obviously, I won't say obviously, but I'll tell you how I understand it, because that's all I can ever do. Uh, it's very significant to me, if you look at the beginning of the Torah, it says, It says, I'll read it again. Listen to the important parts. Take one stick, and write on it the following words: For Judah, the children of Israel, his chaverim, his companions. So it's not just a stick that says Yehuda. It says more than that. It says write on the stick, Judah and company, and then take another stick. And the other one stick right on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all of Yisrael, it's, uh, it's buddies. So in each case, each stick represents not just that person, whether Yehuda or Yosef, but Chaverov. Now, it's understandable, I'll push up shot, that at the time of the prophet Ezekiel, you would use these kind of terms because there had been two kingdoms. Um, by the time Yechezkel is giving this prophecy, these kingdoms are toast. They're gone. First, the kingdom of the Norse, as we call it. The kingdom of the ten tribes. Um, colloquially, we speak that way. It's not exactly ten tribes, whatever. Um, was uh, eliminated by the kingdom of Ashur. Oh, 150 years before the prophet Ezekiel. And then the, the kingdom of Yehuda was also. Okay? So... That's why, Pashim Shat, you'd say, Yehuda B'chavirov, and uh, Yosef B'chavirov, Ephraim B'chavirov. Yehuda would be the kingdom of Judah, which would be the, at least the tribes of Yehuda and Benjamin, and uh, the Levium, if you want to get, again, get technical and all that, maybe even Shimon. And uh, Ephraim was the ten tribes of, you know, you know, Yisachar's one done of Tali and all that business, right? Ruby. Um... And then he says, bring them together in this Lachon and Biodecho. However, um, the language is very interesting, especially in the light of the story. Because in this part, we have Ayigashi Love, Yehuda, Yehuda steps forward as the spokesman for the brothers, as we all know very well the story. Um, what it means, at least as I understand, what it means is that of the 12 brothers, there were two that had a charisma. And the others did not. Uh, one was Yehuda and one was, uh, uh, one was uh, um, Yosef. Their charisma is a different nature. But each one had superior leadership qualities. In the case, and they're different. 
And as is always the case, the idea would be if if, if you combine the two in one. You know, the famous story, if you combine his looks with her, what is it again? His strength with her looks or something, you know. In other words, if you get the best of the mother, best of the father, however it works out, then it's good. If it has the worst of the mother, worst of the father, then the kid's no good. The best situation, we have the best of the father, best of the mother. So the perfect leader is, the, like you say in America, the perfect leader is the one who has to, to combine the abilities of Lincoln, Washington, Jefferson, and so forth. Yeah, but nobody does, you know. Lincoln didn't have all those qualities. He had the Lincoln qualities. Washington didn't have those qualities. He had the Washington qualities. But in ideal form, you'd have somebody who combines both. All right? You have somebody who combines both. Even the world of learning, you can pick this big guttling, say, oh, he was a tremendous at the pill pull. And the other one was unbelievable at the Agatha. But they're not necessarily, you know, it's not two in one necessarily, right? The perfect person would be you combine a villain to go on together with a this and with you know with a that, and then you have you know like a super duper. But it doesn't it doesn't go like that. I remember there's a book out there, I think it's probably reprinted, of the Minsker Godel. I think it was called a Godel in Minsk, and he was the Rov in Minsk in the late 1800s, and he died if I remember correctly in 1905. My father's from Minsk, so my father was born when he was still alive. And then his son-in-law took over. It's Rabbi Rabinovich. And uh, the Minsk was Yerucham Perlman, if I remember correctly. And there was a guy who was like what we call today a Haredi Moscow. And he wrote, he bought, did a biography of him. And, you know, ho hold on one second. Yeah, I found it in my bookshelf. It's called Agolomi Minsk. And uh, I actually have a somewhat improved edition. I bought it years ago, and then I left it outside. It got all wet and all the rest of it. I remember the late Chaim Shapiro. I told him about this. He said, "Ah, baloney." Then he read it. He said, "Oh, I'm angry at you." Chaim Shapiro said, "Why?" He said, "Now I have to buy five copies for my kids and my son-in-laws <laughs> um, because it's really good. It's written by Mayor Halpern, and I remember here somewhere that he spoke to the. Um, it's a biography, but it's very well written because the guy was, like I say, a Haredi Moscow. So you know as they've read very well. And it's very interesting. If you're if if you're interested in that sort of thing, the world of literature gadolum circa nineteen hundred or eighteen ninety. So, you know, this that might be a book you want to get. It's from Feldheim, it's called Agotomy Minsk. And the point I'm reason I'm bringing it is because um the guy here did an interview with him. And he said, you know, people complain about you that you don't go out in the public too much and this and that the other. And the Minsky goes, says, well, I, you know, you never visit the schools. He said, I visited the school six years ago. He said, that's one time. He said, well, what do you want from me, you know? And he said, Plony visits the school all the time. And Almoni runs by the Shechit all the time. And this one, and the Minsky goes, said, you're creating an ideal figure that doesn't exist. You're saying, this is this Godel in this town is very good, like, for example, in learning. And that girl, Godel in that town is very good in Psaac. And the third Godel in the third town is, is, is outstanding in Chesed. And so forth, but there's no one that combines all, you know, all together. Not really, you understand? Not really. Um, I mean, there could be exceptions, but you know, generally speaking, that's how it goes. And so the result was that you're creating an ideal figure that doesn't make sense. I'm me, he said. You know, I'm into learning, whatever he was into. Um, so that's the concept of take the eight Yosef and to take the eight uh, uh, Yehuda and combine them in one stick. So if I was saying like this, if I wanted to be flowery, I'd say, you know, Yonas and Abishitz was amazing. He's like, Ace Yosef and Ace, and Ace Ephraim. 
ACOism and AC Yehuda because he was good in Darshaning, he was good in Psalm, he was good in Pilpul, he's good in, you know, that, that's the biblical, in our Haftorah today, we have the biblical image of the model of that, that it's two sticks combined in one. But really, the brothers, as you know, weren't all like that. And each one, I mean, Yosef on the one hand, Yehuda on the other hand, has his unique qualities. And uh, it's just very interesting because they're different. It doesn't mean every God is the same. So Yosef, for example, had this br- brilliant vision and, uh, you know, his ability to administer and he could foresee portentous dreams. And you definitely see that he was what you call a Jewish diplomat in a way the other brothers weren't. You know, he brings all his brothers. Did you notice? He doesn't present them all to Pharaoh. He, he picks five because he figures the others will make a bad impression. And he tells them what to say. Stage manages the whole thing. And, you know, he was a virtuoso. That's what he was. We don't say Yehuda was like like that. Yehuda was, you know, Shalchel front of Goshen, Horus front of Goshen. Yehuda, if, if you want to go in the Chazalic type, Yeshivish type way, He's like, Yehuda was like, you know, a, a Magad Shi or something like that. That's a different quality altogether. You understand? They're both very important qualities. Yehuda's quality, you know, doesn't come from brilliance, not that you see it all. It comes, it's kind of plotting, actually, but it comes from, uh, uh, what's the right word? You know, sternness of character. Sodkomi many. You know? Called a spade a spade. She was right, I was wrong. You know, it was my fault. He owned up to it. Uh, that's, that's a certain type of, of, um, quality, which is very important, and it's unusual in a leader, Asher Nasi Yechta, Asher Yador, Asher Nasi, you know, Misvadet, that's a tremendous quality, um, and without that, you have the person, like, you know, Stalin, nothing is ever wrong here, that's why the Soviet Union went down, everything's perfect, everything's perfect, everything's perfect, until one day they're bankrupt, there's a lot of shuls I've seen in my lifetime, everything's great, everything's great, and one day the shul falls, you know, so, Sot Kamimeni is very important, and that's a powerful, you know, tool. And if you combine that with Shalach of one of Goshen, so Yehuda has definitely his virtues. And that's probably why the, the kingdom of Yehuda stayed loyal. Whereas the kingdom of Yosef did not. Because they're brilliant. They see all kinds of possibilities. They're always machadish new things. Yerub ben Devot took that in a, in a bad way. You know, Yerub ben Devot actually, um, Set up a golden calf, as we know, and I remember the Mepharshim were trying to say, why you set up a golden calf? You know, why, why did he pick that? I can't remember who it is. It's the Radak or somebody like that, or the Barmanel. And they said, well, he, that, was the, that was the symbol of Joseph, you see? So in other words, he took the Yosef qualities, which is, you know, Yosef was raised because he had dreams of with cows and bulls, and, you know, uh, you know the Egel, Hazov, you know, that kind of thing. And he sees things that, before they happen, and he had plans. Uh, these are Gavaldic qualities, but if they're not tied to Sod Kamimani, then it's not good, you know. So, um, now Yosef could pull it off because he was a virtuoso, but the brilliance that he displayed uh, was hard to, to copy. And therefore, his successors did not do a great job of copying that. The successors of Yehuda and the tribe Yehuda seem to have been better at that, although you got to admit, when you go through the Tanakh, you see David and the people come after him, especially, it's not Pasha at all. Right? It's not Pasha at all. David had the Judah qualities. What do I mean when I say David had the Judah qualities? When he was called Bathsheba, he said, you're right, Chatasi. Check out Tehillim, 51, you know? That's a Yehuda vart. Right? L'chol you know, oh, oh, I did it. The later kings of Judah, 
do not seem to have had those qualities. When uh, Shlomo was uh, criticized by Yerob Mendevat, and Yerob Mendevat, we were told, criticized him correctly. In other words, the tainas that Yerobim said when he was a servant of Shlomo were proper complaints. Shlomo freaked out and tried to kill him. So Shlomo did not say, so doctor me many. So the point is like this. At that moment, Shlomo needed a little bit of Judah in him, but he also needed a, a Joseph quality. And Yerob Benavot, when he had this brilliant thing, and obviously he impressed the tribes that they elected him as king, uh, remember that. He was freely elected. I know he screwed up. I'm just saying he was freely elected as king. So he had that tremendous charisma. Um, but, and, and, and his ability to have vision and see new ideas was mischanneled into the golden calf. I mean, I get that. But, uh, he, he could have used some of the virtues of, of Judah. Uh, it could have been two sticks. Because what do we know about the Ram ben A prophet went right away and blasted him. Uh, that's the story where, you know, he said, get that guy and his hand froze. You look in Malcolm office there. You know, he, he also had problems with, with taking criticism. Because it's hard for a person in power to take criticism. Yehuda kind of displayed this, uh, as we know. And therefore, the prophet Yecheskel, surveying the story, well, it's Hashem talking, surveying the story of Aigash, love Yehuda. We see these two titans fighting it out. And one way is to say like this, isn't it a fascinating story to look how Yehuda and Yosef duke it out? Another way of looking at it, which is the Haftorah today, is isn't it tragic that Yehuda and and Joseph, you know, were different and couldn't get along? Imagine if they combined their powers. It'd be awesome, right? Combine their powers, be awesome. This is the meaning of what we call Klal Yisrael, which we always raise to a high ideal, hypostatic ideal in Judaism. You know, the Klal Yisrael is a grace where an individual doesn't have grace. If you and I do a sins, we can end up being destroyed. Uh, you can end up burning in hell forever, or worse, or worse. Um, not the Jewish people, not Klai Yisrael as such. Now, what does that mean? The Klai Yisrael as such is, is, has both. They have Yehuda and, and, and Yosef, and the other virtues, but these are the two dominant ones. And if it, since they have both, they always have this potential to deploy each one in its proper sphere, and then you have something awesome. Because, indeed... In this week's parsha. Once Joseph and the brothers get past the emotional side, in other words, you sold me. There's not the other, you know, kila Once once they get past the kidnapping part, and they get past that, then Yosef brings them down to Egypt, as we know, and they take off because then the brothers were cooperating, and you know, vayifru vayibu maod they took over. If anything, the problem is they got too successful. They're awesome because when the Jews aren't fighting each other and devoting their best kochas to undermining each other, then they constitute an unbelievable power. And that is this part of the story in Egypt. By the time Yaakov dies in next week's Parsha, the brothers are more or less getting along. I mean, I know there's issues you know, after Yaakov died, but basically they got along. Listen closely. If they hadn't worked out their issues with each other, they would not have survived the, the, the slavery of Egypt. There's no way. Because it was too hard, and you just crack at the seams. And throughout Jewish history, whenever you have this uh, uh, great pressure applied, they often crack at the seams. For example, in Spain. 
And when he had all this pressure from the riots and all the stuff of 1391, 50% of the Jews left. They converted to Christianity. And a century later in 1492, another 50% converted. That's a lot of people. You understand? In America today, in a different way, of course, is a tremendous, you know, a, a, a disintegration of the Kochus because there's no unity. It's the lack of unity. Um, the only thing American Jews have been good and unifying going is Israel, say the the, the 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 record on American support for Israel so far, look, I don't know what tomorrow is, but so far, it's been amazing. You know, historians one day will, will marvel. Because how did the Jews get America to support Israel so much? And the answer is, at least on this issue, the Eitz Yosef and the Eitz Yehuda were tied together and they were one stick. You know, the, the few that are against that are marginal. Ruba de Ruba are, are there. So the prophet is therefore calling together these two kochos. However, as I said before, it's unclear because in the messianic scheme, you have two different Mashiachs. And so obviously one is going to deploy the kochos of a Yosef type. So the Mashiach and Yosef, it's hard for me to talk about this because there are different accounts and different theories about what's going to happen. Like I said before, you check in Otsir Gaonim in these kind of places. But um, obviously the kind of leadership that's going necessary to get to, I guess, stage one is going to require a Joseph type skill. And the kind of leadership to get you to stage two is going to require Yehuda type skill. Now, if I wanted to be really frummy about it, you'd say something along the line, I mean, you know, just for speculation, you say, listen, it was necessary to get Israel uh, set up, so you needed the Zionists and all this stuff that wasn't from. That's the Mashiach, you know, the, the, the stage one, because it wouldn't happen otherwise. But then the Yosef's going, um, the Yehuda's going to kick in, and that'll be stage two if everybody gets from, you know, something along those lines. All of this is very definitely in, 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 in the Haftarah today, because he doesn't simply say, gee, wouldn't it be nice if all the Jews get together? He says, that the prophet says, in the name of God, I'm talking about the future, and I'm talking about the Gula, when I'm going to gather the Jews from around the world. And, and Hashem said, when the Mashiach time comes, it's not going to be two kingdoms anymore, because then it'll be counterproductive. The two kingdoms will go and and, you know, um, uh, fight each other. That's all we need. You understand? I mean, seriously. I always say like this, which is sad but true. Suppose, really, 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 the Mashiach came tomorrow. We'd have a hell of a situation on hand. You know what? The Satmar would do this. The Lababash would do this. The Chazin would do this. The Reform would go in this direction. The Gay would go in this. The Jewish people aren't ready for it. You understand? Unless you tell me, Everybody become from zombie and they'll lose their, their, their free will and then they'll all follow their, you know. As things stand right now, Jewish people are not ready for Mashiach because this one's going in this direction and that one's going in that direction. And that's what the prophet is warning about in this week's of Torah. He says that the, when the time comes to Mashiach, we're not going to have two kingdoms. They won't split into two. So, Obviously, um, Yecheskel, now he's a Navi, so he's giving a vu here, gave great deal of thought to what I just told you, which is what would really happen if the Geula came tomorrow. And he realizes, you know, it would be a bummer because it, it, it will require 
um, divine intervention to bring about this unity, which is sad, but you're totally true. In other words, we can totally identify with this message. I always say people don't know how to read the, the, the Parsha, in my opinion. If there's a Nevuah that says, and listen what I'm telling you, that there will be a divine special intervention. You know, uh, I want you as a prophet to take the two sticks together, not Stamazoi, but these two sticks that you take together will be an omen of the future. God is going to take the two sticks and meld them together. So what it means is like this, anything short of that, it won't happen. <laughs> it won't happen. So don't expect, like I said tomorrow, you know, this group in Kalei and that group again, all of a sudden become lovers. It's not going to happen. You know, this the, the this Hasidic group will day this way and this Masonic group this way and this Sephardi one will day this way till so this way, and as long as you see that you know the Mashiach is not around the corner, that's what it sounds like, because the sign that the Mashiach is really around the corner, even though the Rambam says, "I'll be I mean, I, I get that, you know, fine, that's okay, but when you say "Tzipis Yeshua," what you really saying is like this. Are you seeing the four steps of the Messiah? You know what I'm saying? In other words, do you find that the different groups that don't get along all of a sudden start getting along? That would be a tingling of the bell. <laughs> that would be some, whoa, what's happening over here? All of a sudden, the Satmar and the Kippah obviously got together. That ain't normal. Mashiach is obviously 10 minutes away. Now, you want to know something? That is the reason that people believed in Shabtai Tzvi. Because in his time, when the news popped around the Hitzim Mashiach and people started to believe in it, then Lubavitch and, and Satmer and Avadi Yosef and Tells and Lakewood and the Reform and the Conservative all started to get together. And the rabbis and the Schultz, we have this recorded, were freaking out. People who used to be enemies all of a sudden started to be friends because he said Mashiach is here. People who were bad to each other all of a sudden being nice to each other. That is a major reason why the Rabbanim, who lived at that time in 1666, didn't want to go against the They say, listen, all of a sudden, whatever the reason is, people stop talking in Shul. <laughs> you know? All of a sudden, people are actually nice to each other. All of a sudden, this guy who would scream if the other guy hadn't gotten Aliyah says, gives him to hate. I like that. It's Achtos like you've never seen. So the notion that there will be a tremendous Achtos Whereas the prophet says today, "V'karasi lehem bris sholom bris olam yelohem v'nasati v'beisir sholom v'nasati smigdashib b'zolom liyolam." That there'll be a bris sholom, and then all the, the I'll build a house and mishkanei aleim and all the rest of it. Um, this is the big, interesting message uh, of the prophet Yecheskel. So it's a very portentous um, haftarah, and it provides a very nice litmus test. How do you know Mashiach is coming? Like I said before, we can all express sincerely, the pious wish that we hope the Mashiach will come in the next minute. That's true. However, however, it's unlikely that it'll happen unless you start to see a certain octus, and there are certain groups right now that you say, I guess, ain't no way they're getting together. And if you see what I just said is wrong, that somehow or other, you'd be surprised that somehow they get together. Oh, then you say, I guess, you know, the strangest things might happen in the next day or two, or next week or two, or next year or two. So I think in that regard, this Torah is like understudied and underappreciated. Uh, but so you'll 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 take a look at it from that point of view. I hope this coming Shabbos. Once again, I want to thank the anonymous sponsor, and with that, I close down for the week. Have everybody have a good Shabbos.